Welcome to the Hey Soul Sister podcast, where Mel Histon will guide you through life's big questions and bring you one step closer to doing this crazy journey as best you can. Hey Soul Sisters, so regular listeners of the podcast would know that I've done a few episodes now around narcissists, dating a narcissist and having narcissistic parents. But today in the studio, I have the fabulous Dr. Ricky with me. How are you going, Dr. Ricky? I'm well, thanks. Thanks for having me, Mel. Yeah, Dr. Ricky's from the Hummingbird Centre, clinical psychologist and director at the Hummingbird Centre. And we're going to have a talk about narcissists in the workplace. I don't know about you, but I've worked with narcissists in the workplace and it was hell on earth. But we'll come to that in a minute. <laughs> now, Dr. Ricky, before we get into narcissists in the workplace... Have you been watching MAPS? I have been watching MAPS. I mm. am hooked on MAPS this year and last year. Are you like fascinated as a clinical psychologist, fascinated at, at all the personalities and how that's all working? I certainly am. And I certainly do know that, I certainly do know that we all know that there are some people on that show, not for genuine reasons, and they're there to, you know, get some more fame and attention and followers and things like that. But it, from a psychology point of view, it is fascinating for sure. And that ability to have videos on on interactions and having someone neutral outside of the dynamic, being able to look objectively of that and be able to call it out. I, I really do enjoy that part. I need to ask a question. Okay, Andrew the Texan, he accused Holly of being a narcissist, but I'm watching that going. He, to me, he looked like a total narcissist gaslighting her and undermining her. Did I read that wrong? That is classic narcissistic behaviour. They will often, the first person to call the other a narcissist is usually a narcissist and that's classic gaslighting if they've been called out on something or they know their behavior is wrong they need to redirect the attention off them back onto the other person and so you're always worried when that first person calls the other one that and that's not to say that sometimes it is the other way but he clearly was because it was funny and I'm, I'm sorry if you aren't watching maths but we're just going to go there for a minute because I found it so fascinating in terms of narcissism mm. I found it so interesting that first thing that we saw was that he talked about how great he was in bed, what a, how his sexual prowess, how great he was in bed, how crap he told her she was in bed. Yeah. How many partners he'd been with, like kept the number. Like he, it was like, I'm going, so I'm going grandiosity, tick. Yeah. And then when they went to the commitment ceremony and the psychologists were calling him out on his behaviour and then you saw him switch. And then when he got back to the group again, he was like, oh, poor me, poor me. And he shed a tear and he like told everybody how hard done by he was. He became the total victim and absolutely wrote her off, like denigrated her. And I'm watching going and he was gaslighting Holly. Uh, like, so she started to, you know, the other people in, in the show thought she was a bit crazy. And I'm like, no wonder the poor girl, like, feels like she's a bit crazy, he's totally undermining and denigrating her. This is what's good about the show is it shines a spotlight on on how these people work. So she didn't show him enough love and admiration in the bedroom. She hasn't met his narcissistic needs. When that happens, low self-esteem and the narcissist drops and the only way to get it back up is a narcissistic attack and projection on the person who caused that. So you weren't good enough. I've had, and here's the evidence, I've had all these partners and it's nothing to do with me, it's you you weren't enough and this girl never met his needs for being loved and adored and so we saw that classic narcissistic behavior come out and 
how he manipulated the group, turned it all back on her. And then because she's so upset by the treatment from him, because she shows upset behaviour, they go, see, she's crazy. And the focus, gaslighting back onto the person who rightly reacts to the injustice of what's been done to them. I was watching that absolutely fascinated and thinking about Kokibak's sister and all the stories of, of women who come and being, you know, abused by narcissists or, or gaslighted by narcissists. I'm watching going, to me, that seems like a classic situation. Yeah. A classic situation. And the thing about that show is that this girl's not in a long-term marriage with that man with children and not being subjected to that day after day after day where she's being told she's crazy and having the other people around it reinforce it. She's in there for a short term. But if that was going on for a long time, what we see is the women then become so broken down because of their ongoing attacks. They start to question themselves or overly take responsibility or if I just made him happier or or whatnot. And over time, their self-esteem and confidence is broken down so much that they begin to stop questioning the narcissist and that that's when the narcissist has, has really got them and, they, and they're too broken to leave in many ways. Yeah, because unfortunately they start to believe. They start to believe and he's got the other people around convinced at the same time. That's dangerous. Yeah. So what's a classic sign of a narcissist? You know, what's something that we can look out for just in everyday life? You kind of hit the hit the one of the biggest ones before, that grandiosity. So there's inflated sense of ego. There is really the uh, superiority self-centeredness it's really about their own needs and not about anyone else's needs entitlement lack of empathy is huge because he had no empathy for holly no empathy and a lack of insight into his to have empathy you have to have insight into the feelings of others and you have to have insight into your own self so they lack their own insight so everything's blamed on the other and they have a lack of empathy and so no amount of arguing or reasoning with that person trying to get them to see your side or to have empathy will ever work. I, I've done, um, as I mentioned before, I've done a couple of episodes around narcissists with Kaz Amos and she was talking about just how dangerous narcissists are. Yeah, really dangerous. You it, To be in an interpersonal relationship with them, a romantic relationship as a parent, they can cause huge, um, you know, mental health issues in their children and in the workplace it's a nightmare. A narcissistic parent can really be soul-destroying for a child because nothing that child can do is for them. It's all about appeasing or feeling those that, that validation or the grandiosity of the parent. Yes. So you can have a couple of different types of narcissistic parents and a couple of different ways you be, can become a narcissist yourself by their parenting. So some narcissists are so special and, and better than everybody else, therefore their child is, and their child is overvalued in terms of their achievements and things like that. So that in turn can create a second generation narcissist. But some narcissistic parents are so either aggressive in their criticism of the child or cold and no empathy that it can cause its trauma, its emotional trauma, its attachment disturbance in the next generation. If you imagine going up with a parent that's got little insight and no empathy, and it's all about their need and not about the child's needs, the recipe for disaster. Want to save your soul? Review us on Apple Podcast. 
Can I ask a question? Is there a difference between being a narcissist and having narcissistic personality disorder or are they the same thing? No, that's a really good point because the actual incidence of narcissistic personality disorder is really quite low. To get a clinical diagnosis of it is usually quite rare, far more common in men than women. So what more to look out for is those narcissistic traits. So there'll be a lot more people in the population that have the traits that won't go on to meet the criteria for the disorder. Yeah. So what generally causes a narcissist? They're parenting. They're parenting. Yeah. If you have a narcissistic parent, you'll probably become a narcissist potentially yourself. Yep. So a narcissistic parent who's cold, emotionally lacks empathy, is critical or and just you can have a parent who's not a narcissist, a, a distant, emotionally distant parent. So they might be have their own trauma or in the background and they're just not emotionally available to the child. Or you can have a highly controlling, critical parent, or you can have a combination of the two. And then the two together means it's not about the child's emotions or the child's child's needs. Yeah. I heard this term recently, covert narcissist. Can you tell us about that? Because that's my understanding is that that can be a lot harder to pick. Yeah, it's tricky Like because there's some people that are far more easy to pick, like a, a Donald Trump or, you know, whatnot. They're, they're quite out there. It's yeah. quite obvious. That like that Texan on maths. I'm sorry. I was just like, when he's like, he was pretty easy to pick. Yeah. I'm amazing in bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, you, and you didn't live up to my expectations. Yeah. And so that, the arrogance is a classic like sign to look for, you know, a, a really arrogant, po- boastful, you know, it's all about me and uh, kind of person really t- easy to pick but like in the workplace too it's it's can have a lot more covert where you don't know it and in workplaces it's tricky because a lot of those characteristics of arrogance or whatnot they come across really good in interviews where confidence and things like that confidence being charismatic outgoing you know they're, they're quite appealing when you're sitting on an interview panel so so when the research says that they're more likely to get the job over someone without narcissistic traits how does a narcissist at work act? How do we pick a narcissist in the workplace? So what's good to know is that a lot of narcissistic people will be attracted to positions of power. So they will like to move up the ladder and be managers or CEOs. In saying that, there's lots of wonderful managers and CEOs out there that obviously are not narcissistic and are there because of other reasons like love working within a team, love giving to people and whatnot. So it's not to say, you know, all people in those positions are like that. But what you want to look for is someone that maybe they've got really outgoing and charismatic, but the relationships are fairly superficial. It's hard to have a really deep, meaningful connection with them. They're controlling they lack empathy of others. They're a boss where it's all about me and aren't I great and I've done this and I've done that rather than building up the team. Yeah. So they're more I than we. That grandiosity, they seek admiration. They don't like taking responsibility for any anything. They, yeah. they won't say sorry. They won't apologize. They will take credit even when it's, it's not their achievement or it wasn't their idea, but when it, if it comes to make a mistake, they will blame other people. Okay, Soul Sisters, if you're listening, have you worked for somebody like that? I think I have. If they're not a narcissist, though, I, I say they were a workplace psychoth- psychopath and they made our lives. My team, that was the team I was in, she made our lives a living hell. It was awful. So I'm interested to see if you think that this is narcissistic behavior. I don't know. So I, it's so funny. So I went for the job interview 
And this is a long time ago too, by the way. I went for the job interview and I kind of got a sense. You know how you, you listen to your gut? And I got yeah. a sense in the interview. I'm like, something doesn't feel right with this woman. I, I don't quite understand. Oh, there's something, there's an icky feeling I, I don't understand. And then I got offered the job. I took the job and I still got this really yucky feeling. I went and um, spoke to her and said, look, I'm not quite sure about the job. You know, I'm trying to read her going, what's going on? I'm not sure. I ended up taking the job and I noticed that she would do things really from the first day. The very first day that I started, she was warning me about all the people in the team that I was going to work with, what was wrong with all of them. I remember I walked in the second day and she was like, you're three minutes late. And I remember going, oh, I was really shocked because I'd, I'd come from a government department where you have flexibility yeah. and it's like, oh, if you walked in three minutes late, you work three minutes later, yeah. five minutes later, 10 minutes later, it's not an issue. She made all of our team go and help her move house. So she'd gone and in a share house and she made our team go and help her move house. And then I remember thinking, I don't know, this feels icky. This doesn't feel right that actually in the middle of the working day that we all have to go and move her furniture and load it up into our cars, our personal cars, and, and move her to her new place. This kind of doesn't feel right. I don't know, which, which is not a narcissistic thing in itself. But then I remember, you know, sitting in the office and it would just be me and her and she'd start – I'd hear her talking to her boss about – slide disparagingly about everybody in the team and saying really, really nasty things. And I was sitting there actually feeling really sick listening to all these horrible things she was saying about the people in the team to her boss. And I'm going, oh, my goodness, like what, what would she be saying about me? And then one day she asked me to go and move her car and she gave me the keys to her car. I went and moved her car for her. I came back and put her keys on her desk. Later on that day, she's like, oh, where are my keys? And I was like, I left them on your desk. And she goes, well, they're not here now. And she's like, you have to get, you have to buy me a new set of keys. I've got an Alfa Romeo or something like that. And I was mortified. I was like going, no one would have stolen keys off her desk. I put them on her desk. But all, the, all of a sudden, the, the keys mysteriously disappeared. So I had to go and buy her a new key, which was $200. There was just all these little things that just felt icky. Finally, the good thing was that finally other people in the organization recognized it as well. They ended up getting rid of her. But she'd also always tell us about how great she was. She was so great. But then would just, I don't know, it was one of the worst experiences I've ever had in a work sense. And I had to go have counseling about it afterwards because mm. I went in there like really confident. Mm. Like I'm really, I'd come from this, like a really great position in a government department. This was in a private company. But it actually really wrecked me. I remember I vomited at work one day. Like it was really horrible being around her and hearing her say all these horrible things all the time about the people that I was working with. Mm. And I almost sometimes felt as though she was doing it to threaten me. Like mm. it was really, I don't know if that's a narcissist thing or if that's just a psychopath thing. Well, there's a strong overlap between being a narcissist and, and being, having, being a psychopath. Being a psychopath is basically having no empathy. So I'm not saying yeah. this woman has NPD, but certainly there's traits there that you see. And I think you touched on something that's so important is that you, I hear this all the time. If that gut instinct to this person is yuck, then... Yep. You're probably on 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 the money. You or need to something to else that. seriously is wrong. And you need to listen to your gut. And you also touched on something else there that's really important is 
the, we mentioned if Holly was in a longer term relationship with this guy, the longer you stayed in that workplace or the longer she was there or the longer you're in the relationship, the more the confidence and the self-esteem is eroded. And so when people come into work and they're talking to me about their, this narcissistic person in the workplace or I'm in organisations where I see it, the longer it goes on, the mental health of everyone around begins to break down and their confidence. And so one of my things is I really need this per- something to happen with this person where they're held accountable or you need to, that won't happen, choose to leave because the longer it goes on and the more that sense of self in yourself is broken down, the longer it takes to repair and recover. Want to fill your soul with more? Go to thesisterco.com. So what do we do? If you kind of are working with, and it's hard if it's your boss as well, and I guess it's different if it's your boss compared to your colleague. It is it is, it's different and it's hard. So one thing is you know, narcissists are bullies and they use fear-based intimidation strategies and they, they lack accountability for their behaviour and they lack empathy. So if it's your boss, it's hard to hold your boss accountable, isn't it? Like, no, I clearly left the keys on that table. I'm not replacing them because you fear then you, your position will end or life will be made more hell at work or whatnot. But trying to be assertive you know, as long as you're appropriate and you're assertive, I think that if you we are anxiously give in to the narcissist and run around and apologize and walk on eggshells around them, the more entitled and the more grandiose they believe they can be because nobody holds them to account. And, and when more than one person can hold them to account is when we see change, whether the narcissist is at your workplace or it's Harvey Weinstein or whoever it is, you know, it, it sometimes takes that collective. If there's no way to hold the narcissist assertively to account or avenue to go above, then some people do have to make the decision to leave the workplace because it's not worth the impact on themselves and their family. You know what I stupidly did? I let her move into my house. Oh, no. I wasn't living there. <laughs> I didn't live with her. <laughs> I, um, no, I had, a, I had moved out of the house that I lived in that I owned and I moved in with my partner who then became my husband. And so she moved into my house. And I remember that was the worst thing. I was like, when they finally let her go and we never saw her again. She never came and said goodbye to the team. Like they, she was gone. We had to do interviews with HR and all of that. So she would have known that HR came and interviewed us and we told them what was going on and they were building a case against her. But then I was like, holy shit, she's living in my house. (laughs) Hopefully she just disappeared from that as well. But do you know what? To her credit, she just – and I didn't go through a real estate agent. I'm such an idiot. <laughs> but she um, she ended up just leaving the keys in the letterbox and texted me instead of gone. Okay. So that good. worked out. It worked out well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't let your boss move into your house. <laughs> no, and I think always follow your instincts. You know, your gut is so wise, you know. I did not listen to my gut around yeah. any of that at all, any yeah. of that. Let's get soulful on social media. Search the Sister Code Facebook page and follow us on Instagram. So I guess in in government organisations and things where they have a HR department, you know, you probably have some sort of recourse or to go and actually 
talk to them like and, and we were able to do that because the, my other team members we kind of I didn't like they were all experiencing that as well I wasn't the only one so mm. they're like going oh my god this is not okay like we were mm. it's isn't it interesting that you go I'm, I'm a happy confident person but she absolutely like shrunk us yeah. all of us individually and then we finally as a team went to HR and we're like this is what's going on for us and the other departments had seen it as well. So thank goodness it wasn't, it was seen by other people, but we had recourse to do that. But if you don't have a HR department, you really do either potentially just have to make that decision. Yeah. I think there's still, still ways, even in, you know, a non-government or private enterprise to assertively make your what's happening for you known and there's also avenues like safe work and your gp and other places where you can go because it's not acceptable anywhere and it's it is hard because the consequences if that person then bullies you further so it's always just a matter of can your voice be heard is there a possibility your voice can heard so that this stops for you and stops for everybody else or is there no option but you need to remove yourself from the situation. Yeah. Is there anything you can do to disarm a narcissist at work? I think that being assertive, you know, being clearly assertive and not just kind of giving into them walking on eggshells. I would, if you think you've got a narcissist on your hands, I would, I would keep notes of things. I would keep records of things. They clearly unravel over time where, you know, because the dishonesty is rife because you can't take any responsibility for anything. So, you know, lies happen to cover things and, what's the name so usually they unravel with time and yeah really learning how to not take it personally that they project their own insecurities and their own low self-esteem onto you and it's got nothing to do with you the the trauma that these defenses hide happened in their early years it's got nothing to do with you yeah yeah so dr ricky you do a lot of work with organizations yeah how common is it like how often are you seeing narcissists in, in different organisations? Certainly, in high up, you can you can have narcissism in, in organisations, but I do work with lots of places where you know they've got fantastic leaders. The research does say that it's increasing in young people that we've got a more entitled younger generation coming through that have more inflated self views and higher demands of what they should be entitled to in the workplace in terms of money and. And, and status and things like that. So that'll be interesting to watch in, in the generations. It is about double the rate in men than women. So there are females that do have it, but it's it's more doubly more common in men. Yeah. Yeah. So do you find that people come to you as a clinical psychologist because they recognise that that's an issue and they need help? Because like when I went to have counselling, I went and saw a clinical psychologist, I was like, this has happened to me. I, I didn't know about the term narcissism back then, but I was like, this is happening and, and I've lost my confidence. Uh, is that what happens when people come to you? People come to me because they've, they've got it with a manager or, or someone in their workplace and people come to me because they're in marriages with one. People come to me because their mother or their father was one. So it could cause a lot of mental health distress. Organisations come because the culture in the organisation is of such a worry that they, they want input into what's happening and some help. So you'll be consulted to do work with managers or, or supervise employees and do work within the organisation because it you know, can cause – there's breakdown in, in connected relationships in narcissism, so it will cause the same issues 
whether in an organisation or in a family or... Okay, so if you think you're working for a narcissist or if you're having problems in the workplace or apparently with a parent or a loved one, you can reach out to Dr. Ricky. Yes, seek help, seek help. Even if they've got to you for that long that they've got you so convinced it's you, which is their power, then just still seek help. Just go to your GP, get a referral, reach out. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what's interesting? A, a woman that I know came to Got Your Back Sister and she was telling me that she was in a, in a relationship. She didn't realise how toxic it was, but he had gaslighted her so badly that he had her convinced that she was bipolar. Yeah. And she went and saw, had three sessions with a psychologist and the psychologist said, you haven't got bipolar, you're just with a narcissistic man. That's right. And, <laughs> and she's probably listened to that for 10 years before she finally had the courage to go. So to, so be brave, go and seek help because that's what they do. They frequently convince their, their partners, especially their female partners, that they're crazy or they're the abusive one or they're the narcissist, like this guy on maps, classic, you know, yeah. you know, that they're the problem. So seek help yeah don't I think that because women live in this and men because you know it's just more common for women I think but because you live in this relationship where you're told you're the problem all the time it's hard to then be brave enough to seek help you know at the end of the day if you're not sure just just go and and see a counselor or psychologist and go and have that conversation because it's heartbreaking to think that you could be living in that situation where your self-esteem, your self-worth is being attacked, it's slowly going down and actually you, you're totally fine. You're totally, <laughs> you're totally fine. fine. <laughs> and sometimes you just need the strength of a, of a team of supportive people around you to help build that back up while you're recovering from that that can go, no, actually that's not okay. Yeah. You know, you've done the right thing. Yeah, you're fine, sweetie. It's not yeah. you. It's not <laughs> it's you. Not you. It's them. It's not you, it's them. And, and, you know, we can be that extra strength while you're recovering your own. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Okay, Dr. Ricky, so how can people reach out to you? So we've got practices in Broadmeadow, Newcastle West and at Waters Bay. So our website is www.hummingbirdcentre.com.au and you can call us on 49460919. Thank you so much. Thanks for having for me. For coming in. I'm really glad that we cleared up that maths thing. It's <laughs> probably going to be a narcissist on every season we'll be able to comment on. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, thanks so much for listening, Soul Sisters. Thanks for listening to Hey Soul Sister with Mel Histon. What would help you on your crazy life journey? Email melissa at thesistercode.com.